everybody. Welcome to another episode of DFV. Um, I am Black Cinephile. I am AKA Brad. AKA Brad. Uh, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, if you will. Um, helps us out with the algorithm, as they say. And don't forget to uh, give us your thoughts, because uh, today we got an interesting one. We're, we're, take, we're taking it back old school on this one, Brad. Yeah, we are going with two movies that were critical failures that have mm-hmm. gone on to receive mass like audience praise. Uh, we're going with Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, which is the sequel movie for Ace mm-hmm. Ventura, Pet Detective, and Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, as you know, one of uh, Robin Williams' most beloved roles. Uh yeah. Which is okay. amazing that uh, even to this day, I think this movie still has like a 28% or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. It's gone up. Oh, has it gone up? Yeah, I mean, I mean, per Wikipedia, which, you know, of course we can trust them. Well, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's gone up like to 72%. I think that's the audience score, but the critic score is still like 28% or something like that. Is it? Oh, it's, you might be right. It's still low because uh, I am pretty sure that's one of the movies that it's like locked in for the uh, score. Let me see. Oh, no, it's it's been updated to be uh, higher now. But yeah, at one point, this movie was pretty much panned by critics across the board. Mm. Yeah, I... We're gonna talk about it. I I, I can see it in some places. Mm-hmm. I, I can in some places. I'm like, eh, I, I see the humor. But um, all right, man. Uh, what do you think? You think today is a, a chronological episode? Um, you know what? I was thinking about this earlier, and I I think this is a chronological episode. You know, it doesn't seem like it, but Miss Doubtfire was made before Ace Ventura too, but. It looked like Ace Ventura was made earlier in yeah, earlier in the years. Ace Ventura has a very like slapstick comedy that it almost feels like it was made in the eighties. It does. It does feel like that a little bit. We'll get into it. Um all right, man. Starting off with Miss Doubtfire. You uh you want me to take this over and you got ace? Okay. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, you you got aces. Um all right, Miss Doubtfire. So uh this movie you know, give a brief synopsis here. It ain't, ain't much to go into. Uh, Robin Williams plays Daniel Hillard. You know, he's a failed uh, uh, animation animation voice actor, uh, divorcee, who's um, trying to like trying to save his marriage as much as he can. He's about to become a divorcee. He's trying to save his marriage, trying to like stick with his kids because he loves them so much, and, and you know, trying to keep his family together, but. Him and his wife are just growing into two different people. They're arguing a lot. And it's come to the point where she's called for a divorce. And um, there's also a custody battle. Mm-hmm. So the main objective is Daniel has to get who just recently got fired from a uh, from an animation job because he uh, he has his idiosyncratic ways of uh, uh, just being his Robin Williams in itself. Basically, uh, he disagreed with the script and tried to redo it himself, but the right. animation is done already, so it's not like he can Mad Lib the, you know, speaking role of the cartoons anymore. So, right, yeah, right. that causes a disagreement and him leaving. Right. So, basically, he's without a job right now, and the, the judge is saying, look, um, I'm giving your what your ex-wife sole custody of the kids right now and you got uh about 90 was days it 30, oh it was, you got 90 days to find employment so uh you can have a uh, joint custody so he has to find a job and uh nothing is really working out with him to the point where he can still meet up with his kids and still spend quality time with them so in his infinite wisdom he takes up an ad that his ex-wife put out for a housekeeper so when she's out working someone to take care of the kids and uh he dons a dress, some makeup, and a wig, and calls himself Mrs. Doubtfire and takes the job. Uh, that 
in in and of itself is the plot of Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, and uh, one thing, this movie is, it has a lot of great comedy bits with it and everything like that. Uh, Robin Williams (laughs) is on full performance for the different voices, the different acts, everything else that he can do. And it's the peak of his career, basically, at this point, too. The first five minutes alone is Robin Williams at his most versatile when he's doing the different voices, which this is a genius character for him. Somebody who does animation voiceover because Robin Williams in stand up and in film is so animated. Right. You know, it's, it's reasons we love him, you know. Um, yeah. The, the, the different voices he takes on here, like it, it, uh, it shows the level of his uh, his creativity. Yeah, I especially love the part where he's first making the phone calls and everything, like responding to the ad, and he's doing it as these terrible people, you know, just mm-hmm. screaming off, get back in your cage. Hello, dearie. Hey, that's the one when he starts like, yelling, just screaming. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> there, there's so many like great moments in this that uh, I, I forgot about when I was doing the rewatch of it. And everything where he completely just uses his voices to the peak comedy perfection. Uh, the phone calls is one when he's doing the animation between like the bird and the cat and everything that you see. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when he's like later on, you know, doing this whole thing with like toy dinosaurs and, you know, switching between these different motifs and everything. It- it's so great. I, I, um, uh... I got to say, let's play a game of in real life real quick. This guy is a horrible ex-husband, dude. Oh, he. So this is one of those things where uh, I remember like people <laughs> talking about him being like, yeah, in this movie, Robin Williams character is an absolute psychopath and should be removed from being able to see his kids. Absolutely. Like they make the judge out to be like a bad guy in this movie. But in reality, that judge is the hero. <laughs> Listen, in the beginning, in the beginning with the whole zoo animals in the party, I was like, oh, he's just a big kid. There's nothing wrong with that. He's mm-hmm. just he's just trying to celebrate his kid's birthday, you know, and, and you know, him and his wife got issues and they're going to argue. I, I feel for the guy. Uh, I, I don't want to take anything away from the movie, but the moment he donned the, the wig, listen, um, <laughs> if my parents were having a divorce, and my dad was trying to get custody or trying to spend time with me. If I found out my housekeeper was my dad in disguise, I'm calling the cops. I'm not going to be like, dad, and have some yeah. emotional moment. I'm, I'm, I'm running to my bedroom, locking the door and calling the cops saying my dad has lost his mind. Please come get him. Yeah, I love that scene where uh, it, you know, when uh I can't remember what the son's name is, but when he first finds out that uh, Miss Doubtfire is a man, and he's like, "We got to call the cops. We need to." Miss Doubtfire has his apartment. No. Yeah, no, no, it's not Frank. That's his brother. Uh, Chris is the kid. Chris. Yeah, yes. Chris. Yeah. Um, he's like, it. She's part man. She's a he. He's a she. She. It's it's a man woman. <laughs> we right, got to call right. the police. And uh, he comes in, and he's, you know, he's like, I'm actually your father. And they're just like, oh, dad. And it's like, no, that's not how that scene would play out. That that would have gone. The son was, the son was somewhat believable, though, because when, when Robin Williams says, give me a hug, son. He's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with with I, you I and it. all that. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, no. Because <laughs> that was. That was just such a, I couldn't, as a kid, I probably thought, oh man, that's a cute scene. But as an adult, I'm like, yeah, I can't, uh, I, that's just, I, I can't, my critic brain turns on and goes, yeah, no, no kid in their right mind is going to be all right with that. Yeah. That there were a couple scenes in this where you have to get rid of like it, that part of your brain just kicks in and goes, yeah, that's not right at all. That's totally wrong. Suspension of disbelief. Um, and how how is it that Sally Field's character can't recognize her ex-husband's voice? Right. Even though he's he's doing a voice, but at the same time, you would think that he slips up a couple times in that frame, right. and she would have picked up on that. Also, he very conveniently or Miss Doubtfire very conveniently like knows a lot of inside information about her life. Right. You know. 
like the whole divorce thing. Well, I can see it on their faces. And then, you know, it must have been recent and this and that. And there's a couple other moments, too, where you, you sure know your way around the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's because everything's labeled so nicely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely that. Uh, yeah. There's times where you just look and go, wow, she had to be even dumber. She shouldn't also have the kids. Um <laughs> They should just they should just go with their aunt. No, no, they should be with their uncle Frank. Yes, uh, who, who did the makeup? He, him, and uh, who, who, who's his husband? Because uh, they they call them uncle Uncle Frank and Aunt somebody. Yeah, I yeah. don't know, but yeah, I, I can't remember what uh, Jack. You know, yeah, uh, Uncle Frank and Aunt Jack. They they, they should Jack, live yeah. with them. They should uh, live with them. Their scenes were great. Uh, they're only in the movie maybe like three times and it's all toward the very beginning, but I mm. loved their scenes, especially when he like comes in and goes, Hey, I need you to make me a woman. I've been waiting for this day. My entire life come in here. <laughs> right. And I love the scene at the end where they're like, uh, where he's like, uh, is it done? Do you need to do any more? If we do any more, you'll become mom. Yeah. And then they high five each other and start dancing. <laughs> I'm like, I miss comedies like this, man. You can't make these kind of comedies these days. No, uh, very for very good reasons. You can't make comedies like this these days. But I, this one, you know, some of the jokes kind of fall flat because they were done in the '90s and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But a lot of them hold up. I'd say a good like ninety percent of the jokes still hold up on a rewatch of this movie. Yeah, I mean, um, I gotta you, you, you take it with a grain of you gotta take it with a grain of salt. It's a '90s film, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You got you got homegirl Mara Wilson, who we know from Matilda in the movie. You know, it's it's, it's '90s. You know, you gotta take it for what it is. Um, I was going to say, dude, again, uh, something you can't do today. You can't make an Aerosmith dude looks like a lady today. Oh, yeah, and that's such a great that's such a great song. But I know. You can't you can't have a musical drop like that in the movie today without, you know, backlash. And I was like, man, this is such that's this is what I love about 90s comedies, man. They were just so even ones like this where the whole family can enjoy it. They still had some grit to them. You know, they still had they still had a little bit of edge and there wasn't like an agenda. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like the even some of the plot lines in this that come up not even just the characters but some of the plot lines that are occurring and everything you really couldn't do them in a movie today with uh you know asking the housemaid what should i wear and everything like that and going into that tirade rant of oh that's slutty you can't wear that you know you're gonna show your shoulders you know right right and it's like ah but i love it in this movie at the same time it's it's hilarious it's fun uh, but it also it, those kind of scenes like remove your suspension of belief a little bit. And you're like, you really still can't tell that this is actually your husband, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I feel like, um, what was I going to say? Uh, I, I mean, you, you take it over. I don't know what I was going to say next. Yeah. Well, one of the other things is uh, with the mother, uh, she's also a terrible person. Because at the very beginning of the movie, with uh, the one person, I can't remember his name, uh, coming Pierce into... Pierce Brosnan's character? Uh, yeah, yes. Pierce, Pierce, Pierce Brosnan's character. Yeah, the yeah. hot guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where he comes into the picture and calls up and... You know, it's like, hey, I want to speak with her. And she gets all flustered, like, right away of, oh, he's calling? Oh, he, I remember him. And right, it's like, right. you're married. Like, I get that you're supposed to be angry with your husband in, like, five minutes when you get home. But right now, you're not. And you're still married. And then she gets home. She's all mad. And then she comes back and goes back to work. And he's admitting, I've been watching your career the last three years. It's like, oh, that's a red flag. And I've been hoping that your head, that's eh, a red flag. <laughs> you have a point, but she didn't don a dress, wig, and makeup to fool her kids into thinking she's a housekeeper. Right. I, I'm not saying by any means that makes his there's, there's, entire thing better. 
there's there's levels to this. There right? there is levels. There's levels to being a bad to being a bad parent in this movie, and I don't think it's her. <laughs> oh yeah, he's the worst parent. But right. you know that that's not a contest here. I'm just saying she's also a pretty terrible parent at the same time, or and, terrible person in general. And are you telling me? Because the first time he fails, but are you telling me it took you to put on a, a dress, wig, and makeup to learn how to cook for your family? Yeah. <laughs> it, it took you to do that to learn how to cook. Yeah, I, I do on, love the kind of uh, it, the nicety, like the, oh, that's a feel-good moment where he's like learning how to cook and he's learning how to clean and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, that's adorable. But he is still dressing up as a fake person to spend time with his family against court orders. <laughs> but it's adorable. Look at it. He's learning how to cook lobster. <laughs> this is one of those rare films where um, I don't know if you had this experience, but I know as a kid, I had a lot of VHS tapes, but there was always that one popular movie you just didn't have that you either watched over a friend's house or over your cousin's house. Miss Doubtfire was one of those movies for me. Oh, okay. Like for every Doubtfire I had that Leave it to Beaver remake. I don't know if you remember that one. You remember that movie? Okay. Well, I had Leave it to Beaver, Little Rascals, Casper. Mm -hmm. For every one of those, I didn't have a Miss Doubtfire. You know what I'm saying? Like, for every Home Alone and Richie Rich, I didn't have a Page Master on VHS. So like, you've seen that movie though, right? Oh, I've seen it. Yeah, oh, okay. Like, good. I, I, I've seen I've, I've seen it over the friend's house. You know what I'm saying? But I'm saying I never had it personally. Like, oh, okay. Like, I was always missing like like that one VHS that was like 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 really popular, but like other people had it and they kind of had like 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 uh, underrated gems. Like what's that Disney movie about? The, called the Cauldron or something? The Black Cauldron. Uh, the Black Cauldron. Yeah. Yeah. The one with the annoying little dog thing. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But this was a this was one of those VHSs I just didn't have in my collection, man. But I every time I was over my friend's house or my cousin's house, I would watch it, dude. Yeah, it it is a classic movie. It's definitely still holds up to this day, I would say, and everything. Uh, But, you know, when it comes to like the critical panning of this movie, I get it at the same time. I I fully understand Uh, the entire plot literally requires you to suspend disbelief of all facts of reality. You know that you can't have physics. You have to forget what physics are in order to, Mm -hmm. you know, be able to go into this movie and go, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Uh, (laughs) the T uh, again, when he was making tea for the lady who was uh, supposed to be, I don't know, she's an auditor or what? Oh, was she, she was the uh, the court officer. Court officer. I'm like, who is gonna, who's gonna believe all of this, man? Like, like he goes off to change as Miss Dotfire, like, oh, my brother is right here, and then uh, the whole stuff happens in the uh, in the kitchen where where you know they're trying to make the tea. And then <laughs> what the uh, he buried her face in the cake. Yes, uh, yeah, the face mask it, to make it see like it was a face mask. Who in their right mind is gonna take some stuff, take some face mask out of the tea and put it on their face? Like, and then on. she tastes it afterwards too. Right. It, it's you know I can't remember what he says. He says like, oh, it's a mango cream thing and it's like right. yeah but at the same time you wouldn't put that in t- like there oh that that scene still kind of is just weird especially when he's doing the whole like oh let me go get my brother 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 oh let me come out now i'm hold on i'm just getting out of the shower 90s right it's 90s it, it's 90s <laughs> comedy but at the same time it's like yeah if, if that wasn't a red flag to her to like write on the report i don't know what is and this is a person who you believe to have common sense. Yes. You know, uh, so anyway, there's another scene. Now, this scene makes me laugh, dude. When um, he's in the kitchen and his, his boobs catch on fire. Oh, yeah. When he's learning to cook the first time and everything. Right. He's like, he's like oh, man, it's hot. Like, what's going on? <laughs> Something smells like up. plastic and it's hot right. in here. <laughs> that was so funny. That's still funny to this day, man. That cracked me up. 
See, uh, one scene that every time I see it, I, I gotta like give props to Robin Williams for is when he's in the restaurant after he's had like several drinks and he's starting to like stagger around drunk and everything like that. It, it's mm-hmm. it's peak like slapstick comedy and done so well of him just running into shit as he's like trying to get around and you know play these two people. Uh, the scene when he's as Mrs. Dalfire and sits down with the CEO president and is like, mm-hmm. uh, this is the new character. character of your show. <laughs> and I love the implication that the CEO is just so drunk at that point because he's had what, like 10 scotches or something like that. Like the mm-hmm. the table is literally just glasses of empty scotch at this point. And I love that they add that detail that the table just continually is getting worse and worse, just covered in glass. Like the wait staff there are terrible. They didn't take a single one of those glasses. They just kept going, Oh, another one, another one. No, we're not going to take those. Those stay here until you leave another one, sir. Right. Right. But I love the concept that he was just so hammered that, you know, Robin Williams character leaves comes back dressed as a woman and he goes yeah this is normal you know what you're right that should be the character of the show dude you know who that was I didn't know that until I looked it up just now my man who played the TV producer that was the bad guy from Thief is it really the bad guy from Thief yeah that's him and it it looks like him too so I I, yeah oh wow I never got that I love his uh, facial expressions uh, to everything Robin does at the table. Like when he first comes back to the table, he says, "Like, says, why do you do you have uh, mascara on?" Or no? Yeah. Are you wearing ladies' perfume? I guess yeah. I am. <laughs> you got lipstick on? Yeah. I I, I, ran, I ran into an old flame. We uh he uh, uh back by the bathroom. We kind of uh, went at it for a minute. Mm-hmm. Oh, she she got a friend. Uh, who has the nineties, right? <laughs> like, he said, "No, no, just you got a friend for me." And uh, I like how they go back and forth. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, go, go check, go check. Yeah, right. it's absolutely hilarious. Even when he's like drunkenly staggering through like the kitchen after putting on like the chef's coat, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that too because he's literally like falling over nearly as he's walking through the kitchen. Here's the one thing where I give uh, Sally Field's character some grace and I go, you know what? Maybe this person is realistic here. Uh, She doesn't take him back in the end. Yeah, they continue to be separated. She just she just understands that her ex-husband is a psycho that will do everything to be with the kids. So she might as well just accept this fact and let him be with the kids. Otherwise, who knows what he'll do next? (laughs) He's he's still their dad. Right. You know, he's still a, he's he's a horrible husband, but he's a great dad. I like my explanation more. Uh, man, listen, I fear man. what he'll do next, so I might as well just give him what he wants. I um, I I I, I can't I can't picture this film ending with her taking him back though, because no. I know it's the '90s. But if that happened, I would have been like, wow. Well, it had that nice little note at the end uh, of the letter read by Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, your parents might be separated, but at the same time, you know, they still love you and, you know, you just have two families now. And it's like, oh, that's a nice little note read by a psychopath. That's that's great. (laughs) Do we have Ted Bundy coming in to tell us, uh, you know, a nice message about cooking now or? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Old Miss was kind of a was kind of a psycho. Um, yeah, man. I I want to say you know uh, it. Now does it still hold up? Some like I said, like you said, some jokes fall flat. I mean, so, I w- some of it falls flat. Yeah, I would say that ninety percent of the jokes in this movie still hold up. There's somewhat that fall flat, but I think for the most part the jokes hold up. Uh, the plot, I, I think, is absolutely insane, which works in its favor and doesn't at the same time. We got to understand. I feel like this movie, you know, th- there was Tootsie before it with Dustin Hoffman, but I feel like this movie kind of gave birth to the 
you know, the big mama houses, you know, the, mm. the Medeas of, you know, the Tyler Perry uh, Medea films. So there is a staple in it in, in comedy, in comedy. Oh, yeah. You know, um, but yeah, I some of it does fall flat. I get it's a it's a straight three for me. Uh, this is a three point five for me. Really, point five. Point five. It it still has some great slapstick. I love slapstick humor. You know, that's that's my wheelhouse of humor and everything like that. And this still has some great slapstick humor. You know, you take the plot out of this, and it's still got plenty of belly laughs from me. Okay, fair so, enough. So for enough. that, it, it's a three point five from me. Uh, but yeah, once you start like adding in, you know, all of, like the things where it's like, yeah, you got to suspend disbelief. God, these characters are dumb. You know, that judge is the only smart character in this entire movie by going, yeah, I can't justifiably let you be with these kids alone ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. That's it for me. Uh, you want to move on? Yes, let's move on to Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. So, following the events of the first film, uh, Jim Carrey returns once again as the titular character of Ace Ventura, this time tasked with finding the thief of a bat of a local tribe that is about to uh, have a marriage with another tribe for the princess and the prince of these two tribes. And if the bat is not found in time, the tribes will instead decide to kill each other. Uh, why? Who knows? But they need this white albino bat that has just gone missing. And Ace Ventura is the only one put up to the task that can find out uh, who had done it. See, man, the the way you describe that meaningless plot right there. Let me, let me tell you something, man. <laughs> I I listen. I love Jim Carrey. I mm-hmm. think he's one. Of, he's one of my favorite uh, comedy actors. Uh, so when I when I hadn't seen this film in years since I was a kid, uh, and I barely remember it except I know that the the only scene I remember is when he climbed out the climbed out the toy rhino. Oh yeah. Um, that's the only scene I remembered. So when I was watching this today, man, I, I, I just had to say to myself, dude, this movie's stupid. <laughs> this movie is beyond stupid. It, this movie is basically, you know, lol, I'm so random. The movie starring Jim Carrey. Man, I never thought I if you told me there was a film where Jim Carrey is obnoxious, I wouldn't believe you because he's not obnoxious to me. Mm-hmm. Ace Ventura gets obnoxious very fast in this movie it does like this is one of those ones where you know i love jim carrey i love his facial expressions he is literally made of elastic i'm pretty sure uh you know he's alien in some way i have no idea how he can do like the facial contortions he does and this role was made for him absolutely but it just gets so like annoying with the jokes because the jokes don't make sense most of the time. It's just let me say a random thing. Uh, some of them do hit, like when he's at like the party and uh, the one lady with like the dead fox over her shoulder comes in. It's like, well, you know, you should try sophistication sometime. He goes, let me try it now. He just knocks out the old dude, throws him (laughs) over his shoulder, and, like, flails around with him, like, as uh, a scarf. It's like, okay, that's that's funny. (laughs) That was one of the scenes I thought was stupid. Oh, really? (laughs) No, let me tell you what was funny to me. Because, like you said, some jokes do hit. I like it with... This this is a testament to Jim Carrey, how, like, his physical comedy is unparalleled. Like uh, he's in the car driving and he's just like doing like this. And like it's, he's you think it's the road, but the road is smooth. But he's just moving to the music. Oh, in the yeah. car. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever actor is sitting next to him. How do you do that? Take without busting out laughing. Yeah, it's uh, it reminds me of uh, when they were talking about uh, filming Dumb and Dumber, how half of the time they were filming that movie. They couldn't get a real take because somebody was cracking up whenever they were on screen with Jim Carrey. Right. And it's like, 
I, I get that 100. It's it's one yeah. of those things. Like even in the new Sonic movies and stuff, it's like this is classic Jim Carrey that we have there, and I love it. And I loved him in the first Ace Ventura, um, but I'm not sure if it's still like nostalgia glasses on with that one or not. Because with this one, I remembered loving this movie before. Mm-hmm. And with this watch, I was like, okay, that was annoying. That was annoying. <laughs> okay, that was funny. That was annoying. That was annoying. That was annoying. Oh, I like yeah. that. That was that was funny. Like, like his energy is there. The energy yes. is there. It's just the... Uh, the, the jokes aren't 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 hidden that much. Like I like 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 there'll be moments where I'll just look at him in this film and I'll laugh. Like the way Ace Ventura walks with the with the with the uh with the stained on smile on his face. Mm-hmm. I'm like he's I'm like he's the Joker, dude. He is the Joker. And I'll just laugh at the way he looks and then he'll say something and I'll be like, okay, now we're back to regular annoying ace. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it I think this was made for kids. It, this like, one is absolutely made for kids. It's it's silly yeah. fun made for kids where it's like, oh, that was funny. That was funny. That was funny. And to everybody else, it's like, that didn't make sense. Why would he I say can, that? Why is that going on? I can, I can picture being a kid in the theater laughing at this um, and, and going like, man, this is hilarious. But like as a grown man watching it, I'm like. All right, when does this end? And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm checking the runtime on my remote. And this was 94 minutes that felt like two hours. Yeah, this is a short movie, but it does feel a lot longer. Uh, but one of the scenes that I, I quote fairly often, and I forgot it came from this movie, was, oh, how selfish of me. Let's do all the things you want to do. You know, I, I love that quote. And I forgot this is the movie that that comes from. <laughs> oh, which scene was that? Because I, I think uh, it's I at remember. the beginning with uh, the slinky and everything like that. When the slinky's coming down the stairs, he's like, "Can we do it again?" Well, Mister Ventura, we must really get to the plane. Oh, right! How selfish of me. Let's do all the things you want to do. I I like it when he's doing the slinky. He's like, "This is gonna be in the uh, the Guinness World Records." Oh yeah, and I'm like, that's such an Ace Ventura thing to do. I and love the pan out to him, like just literally going down step by step with the slinky as well. Right, right. And uh, here's a testament to how uh, annoying Ace Ventura is. The moment the guy comes that 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 tells him about the new case and uh, tries to get him away from the Buddhist. The Buddhists are like literally celebrating and partying oh, that yeah. he's leaving. <laughs> I love they're happy that he's leaving. Yeah, I love when uh, the one is like, "No, you have reached enlightenment just now." Well, don't I get like a totem? You can have mine. I'm bored of this thing anyway. Didn't you work eighty years to get this? Yeah, yeah, but it's not a big deal. You can have it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, as he's walking out, he says. I've never seen them act like that before. <laughs> Denial is a pair of powerful thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. I like, uh, see, and there's just some, some random stupid lines in this movie. Like there's the line where the woman, uh, uh, the, 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 the woman that, that, that tells him, Oh, I never been with a man before. She's dancing kind of seductively in front of him. Oh he's yeah. Like, uh, and he's, he's telling, he's giving this monologue about I've taken a vow of celibacy. Uh, Women are uh, precious creatures that are, are meant to give birth to women and, and meant to give birth to kids and stuff yeah. like that. She's like dancing up close on him. And then he turns to the guy and goes, uh, he goes, uh, you got a daughter? I'm like, what What kind of punchline is that? Like, I don't. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was just a stupid scene. And, uh, oh, man. Now, here's a scene. <laughs> this is a scene that is kind of funny. The scene where he's fighting Tommy Davidson. Uh, oh. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the, the over-the-top guy that was, uh, like, you know, like, rah, rah, Yeah, the, you know. the tribes guy. Right, right. Yeah. That, that was a pretty funny showdown. Yeah, I, I love that uh, they continually just called him White Devil. And even when the one, you know, person is translating for him, I, I noticed that uh, you seem to have also called, referred to me as the white devil. Yes, mm-hmm. that's how they know you. <laughs> Let's stop that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Also, how uh, she's mistranslating everything. It's like, 
you know, I do not want to fight. I come in peace. You know, we do not want war. And retranslate, I want war. Go to hell. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, man. But the rhino scene, dude. That's a uh, that's a funny bit, man. That's a bit where you know Kerry using his uh, physicality, he oh, nails yeah. the physical comedy well. Uh, where he's where he's climbing out of fake rhinos, but <laughs> but yeah, overall, this is just a dumb movie. It like, was. It, it went on longer than it needed to, which says a lot when the movie's only an hour and a half long. No, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's just I. Um, I, I don't understand the point. Like, this was all over a bat. Yeah, the two tribes, uh, you know, if they didn't have the bat for the wedding, uh, they were going to just kill each other instead of going through with the wedding, uh, instead of just, you know, calling off the wedding or something else. Uh, I got to say, man, what one stupid joke, one stupid joke to have me laughing uh, was a... Uh... <laughs> The scene at the end where the bad guy tries to escape and uh he gets he gets caught by the gorilla who mistakes him for a mate. And oh stuck, yeah. <laughs> you see the bush start moving and stuff. I'm like, even though that kind of constitutes sexual assault, that is hilarious. He, he's literally being raped by a gorilla. Let's be honest here. But it's hilarious. Right, right. And the gorilla don't even look real. <laughs> oh, no. It's the animal effects in this movie are so bad. <laughs> but it's right. 90s. It's it's not like it was, you know, a recent movie or anything like that. So it's for its time. It was on par for, you know, that kind of like animatronics and usage like that. But at the same time, yeah, it, it looks god awful. Yeah, I mean, uh, you got anything else to say about this? I'm, I'm, I'm uh... um, not really. This, it's it's literally just a bunch of randomness, uh, booked in with a lot of great acting by Jim Carrey, uh, around a plot that doesn't make sense to begin with. You know, there's really no tension or going. Oh man, I hope that he solves the mystery and finds the albino bat for these two tribes. You know, it, there's not much there. And even from the start, you can be like, okay, the guy that hired him's the villain. It's just the the guy that hired him's the villain. That's the only response for this movie. Oh, what do you know? He ended up being the villain. Yeah, I uh. I gotta tell you, I clocked out on a lot of the, uh, for lack of a better phrase, plot of this movie, <laughs> and I was like, well, let me focus on the laughs and see if that gives it uh, redeeming power. Oh uh, no, just a few laughs here and there. Okay, well, I guess that's what this is then. Yeah, there there were a couple of good chuckles with this one, but overall, it's it's it, it's a kids movie. It it wasn't, you know, I remember as a kid loving well, this movie. I don't think it's for kids. But this is a film that kids will laugh at. Right. You know, like, yeah, it's, I don't think it's a kid's movie, but. The jokes are kiddie-ish. Right, right. They're childish. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, with that being said, I. Uh, this is a two out of five for me. Um, I put this at a 1.5 out of five. Really that low? Yeah, it's well, besides the couple good laughs, th- there's nothing else to this movie. Uh, you could put a clip show together of, you know, maybe five to ten minutes of this movie, and I'd I think go... that's exactly what you can do. Yeah. You, it, you, that's it. Yeah. We could have just watched the clip show of this entire movie, because, like, this is... Was the first one this bad? I don't remember. I remember the first one being better than this, but at the same time, it's been so long since I've seen it that I might still have nostalgia goggles for it, because mm-hmm. I didn't remember this one being as bad as it was. All right, all right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, man, this movie was just—it uh, was—it it was bad, but I—I I, I give it a two because it, it gave me a, it gave me be- it gave me some belly laughs here and there. Right. Uh, with that said, though, if Christopher Nolan does decide to pick up and make a uh, Ace Ventura oh, yeah. movie, like Jim Carrey <laughs> says that he would do it, uh, God, I would be in that theater so fast to see that still. I would just be a see if Nolan could pull it off. I, you know what? Like, Nolan would pull off a darker theme and everything. 
I think Nolan would be able to fix the problems with this film with Jim Carrey's acting. I, I think it could be pulled off. I don't even think it would be it would be a, a dark night for Ace Ventura. There'll be no jokes. It, he would be a serious detective in the wild trying to discover um, uh, uh, a nefarious plot being done by Michael Caine. Yeah, <laughs> that's the movie. That is the movie. I want to see that movie. <laughs> and we don't even have it's not Jim Carrey as Ace Ventura. It's uh, who's my man? Killian Murphy. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, I see it. And, I, you know what? Don't even call it Ace Ventura. Just Christopher Nolan. Make this uh, when murder, nature calls. This animal uh, murder mystery. Right, right. A little bit of, little bit of uh, uh, loud wars in the jungle, so you can't hear some of the key dialogue. You know, you're right. gonna need that. So some exposition will be missed out until you get the Blu-ray. You have subtitles. And uh, you, you got a Christopher Nolan Ace Ventura movie, man. Right. But you also have to ha- make sure that the subtitles are only on like the uh, super mega deluxe version of the Blu-ray. Not even the normal version. The normal version has to be missing the subtitles. The normal version just has the movie uh, and that's it. Yeah. No, no audio changes, no special features, just just bare bones movie. Yeah. It's the red box of the movie universe. Right, right. So I I guess this is a tough one on which movie wins. Um, I don't know. What were you thinking on this one? I don't know, man. I, I guess if we had to just, just throw a hat in the ring, I'd say Miss Doubtfire. Um Yeah, I'm I'm thinking on it hard and I gotta <laughs> I gotta go with Miss Doubtfire too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I, it's it's a no brainer, dude. I mean, Miss Doubtfire, even though you can't make that film today, uh, it, it wins. Yeah, it's it, Robin Williams is always going to be one of the best comedic actors of the '90s and early 2000s by far. Um, forever missed because he was literally the childhood of so many people around our age. When it mm-hmm. comes to the movies and everything that we enjoyed. So it's hard for that one. Um, Ace Ventura sadly just did not age well. Um, I don't know if it aged at all, but it definitely didn't age well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. Um. All right, man. With that being said, what you uh, what you've been watching uh, recently? Uh, so we need to talk about the most recent episode of Better Call Saul, aka the first episode of After the Break. All right, all right, y'all. If, if you're not caught up on Saul yet, at the time of watching this, uh, you might want to get lost for a little bit. Yeah, th- we, we... this is your warning. Uh, make sure to like, subscribe, and share your comments below. Uh, and come back when you have seen the episode because, oh boy, that episode. Dude, that was a great showdown, man. That was an hour of tension that was built up better than most movies. If this was the finale of the show, this would be one of the best finales for a most TV movies show. Or most movies today. Um, I would say most movies in general, when it comes to building tension and everything, it, it it did a great job by putting Kim in the center of it because we don't know what's going to happen with her. It has Lalo in the center. We don't know what's going to happen with him. A lot of the Mike's men, we don't know what's going to happen with them. We had three guarantees of survival from this. And that was Gus, Mike and uh, Saul. That was it. I knew Kimmy would be all right. I, I kind of knew she was going to be all right. Like, I, I I don't think I predicted the way it was going to go by the end, but I mm-hmm. knew if she showed up at the door, somebody was going to grab her and kind of be on to what was going on. But, right. um, dude, I got to say, man, I, I it feels like the more we've seen Gilligan direct episodes from Breaking, Bond, Breaking Bad onward to this moment, he just gets better and better, dude. Oh, yeah. As a director, like... um. Like Bagman, I don't know what season of Saw that was from. I think that was like five. 
Was it last uh, season? Yeah, that was the last season because that was literally right before Lalo went back to Mexico and then uh, everything for the season finale hit. Which they call arguably the best episode of Better Call Saw, but I think this one, uh, this one might be right in that one's behind, man. Yeah, this is by far uh, peak television. You know, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to like just the implications of some of the writing. So just taking Kim's part in the episode to it's, you know, down to the crossing the T's and dying the eyes. She was ready to kill a stranger in order to save uh, Jimmy's life, mm-hmm. you know, because at that point she thinks that Jimmy's life is in peril. And she's going through with it. She knocks on the door. She's holding the gun. You know, she's ready. Uh, I thought it was hilarious when, you know, Mike's going, what are you here for? And then she even points at like the fake Gus and goes, I'm here to kill him. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I got I got told you, man. Uh, when you and I were talking, I was like, where are they going to go from here? The, the main conflict is wrapped up. I mean. You have the Gene timeline, which, you know, I don't think you need four episodes to wrap that up. But like uh, Lalo was the main conflict of this whole season. And now well, he, he's wrapped up. Yeah, he was the main conflict for the last season and this season so far. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, you got to remember, this show is like Saul Goodman getting up to the point that he's at in Breaking Bad, where he has like the full office and he's like the renowned kind of criminal lawyer and everything like that. He's, he's this character drama. Yeah, right. So we still have that story going and there's still story to tell with that because he's literally just gotten that office. Uh, the office doesn't even hasn't even really been built yet and everything like that. And so we still have plenty to see from that. Uh, We have whatever's going on with Kim to finish off with that story. Uh, We still have, you know, Gus finishing off, you know, the meth lab and everything like that, because now he got rid of the main problem with Lalo sneaking around, but he still has a problem that it's not done being built. He still has to get it finished being built. So, uh, I did love when uh, we saw like uh, Mike's reaction to having to like bury Lalo and uh, Howard, where he like looks at Howard and he has like that expression on his face, like this this feels wrong. I can't. I I hate that it came down to this. You know, there's somebody that literally had nothing to do with any of this drama who got caught up in it, and you know ate a bullet as a result and it's it's a sad thing um i do remember the previously uh the guy that plays howard made a uh, comment back in like i don't know like season three or four about how he hasn't had a scene with mike yet and he can't wait to have a scene with mike (laughs) and people were commenting i bet he wishes he didn't have that scene with mike anymore (laughs) uh that's funny that's funny uh I I like this I like the comment Mike makes where the guys, you know, they they just they just they just throw Lalo's body in there like he's nothing. Of course, he's the enemy. And they but they're about to do the same thing with Howard. He's like, hey, hey, be be careful with him. Yeah. You know, like be he's gentle, a civilian. Grab him by the legs, you know. Right. He's a civilian, you know. Uh, which is pointless. He's already dead, but you know, you, that's it's his a humanity. respect thing. It's like Mike yeah. gives respect to everybody. Like he knows that Lalo put them through trouble and everything, but Howard had nothing to do with any of that. You know, Howard was right. literally a civilian and I love that he used the story that, uh, Jimmy and Kim were already building up to, you know, send him off and everything with, you know, they're going to find traces of cocaine in his car His car is going to be found abandoned on the beach and everything. It's the story you guys have been building. So it's everything that you guys wanted. This is what you were after, isn't it? Oh, man, that's a stab in the heart. No, it it, it hits so hard. Yeah, because he's like, you guys are going to ruin his life anyway. Yeah, this is what you wanted. This was your end goal. You know, you ruined his life. You you won. And we're going to go with that story. And guess what? You're going to continue winning because that's the story everybody's going to think from now on that you created. Right. 
I love the opening scene though, man. I, I love the code open. Yes. Where uh, you know, you 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 um you end up on a beach, you see the shoe, you see the shoe in the beach, you see the other shoe by the car, then you say and you and you you go, Oh, that's that's Howard's car. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that's how you could tell, like uh because uh, at first in my mind, and I love how you know um Better Call Saul plays with expectations. I was gonna say, okay. Lalo made Saul take Howard's car out there or Lalo took Howard's car out there. But then you realize, no, it was Mike that did that. Right. Yeah. Like you realize it, something's going on. And I love how they kind of play with those kind of like tense moments of going, here's a clue to something, but you're not going to know what it means until the very end. Dude, one of the best examples of that, um an episode of breaking bad i don't remember the episode title but it's the title where in the end they had the flashback where they show gus's cousin get killed like which which started the whole oh the flashback to mexico with uh hector yes yes yeah but i like how when that episode starts off we're, we're just looking at a pool and you see a little bit of blood come up from the bottom of the screen, and then they go to the to the to the logo opening mm-hmm. and i was like oh my goodness that's a heck of a tease what does that mean? And you know, yeah. 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 He breaking bad and better call Saul are great at that. And God, I'm going to miss it when these shows are done. Um, on one hand, I would love for them to start a new spinoff or a new series or something else that takes place in this universe. But I don't know if I want another series that takes place in this universe. I feel like it's, it's, it's something that Vince said where he's like, uh, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, you know, we, we wouldn't really do another spinoff unless it was fair story wise and mm-hmm. not just to do it just to capitalize off, you know, our 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 vision of Albuquerque. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, if Kimmy survives and she gets a spinoff, then I would want to see that, you know, if it, if it fits story wise. But if it's just something just to please the fans, I don't like Game of Thrones has a Jon Snow spinoff coming out. Yeah, I like Jon Snow, but I don't know. You know? Yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I remember when people were like, oh, Better Call Saul is just a cash grab to, you know, because Breaking Bad's over. And Better Call Saul is... I didn't feel is... that way. No, that was one thing that a lot of people were saying. Like, when it was first oh, okay. announced... Like before it he'd even started, and they were like, "We're gonna make a spinoff of you know Saul Goodman." And everybody's like, "Why? There's there's nothing about him." And I love how they expanded his character, and you know the Saul that we know, we now know, is literally a mask that he puts on to you know evade everything that's happened to him at that point, up to that point. You know, Saul Goodman is not the happy, smiley guy that he appears to be. You know, it's it's funny because I never looked at Bob Odenkirk as a serious actor. I've always looked at him as like a comedic actor that could be in serious uh, dramas, like like not at the same level Brian Cranston. Because mm-hmm. I looked at Brian as like, okay, he can do funny, but he can do serious. And I looked at Bob Odenkirk as like he can be funny in serious. Yeah, you know. Um, but I gotta say, man, over these over these next few seasons, man, like. Bob has been uh, he's been selling me, dude. I'm like, this guy got chops and you can tell he learned from some of the best. Yeah, because, you know, I would love to see him take on the more serious roles and everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was kind of expecting that from I think it was Nobody is what the movie was called. The like John Wick kind of ish movie with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that one cited a little bit more on the comical than being like a serious kind of movie. Yeah. I would love to see him act in like a serious role kind of similar to that. And it'd be not as like handed into the comedy sector because he's shown that he can do it. Absolutely. Uh, his acting in, you know, various episodes like Bagman, for example, his acting in that one is glorious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a well-directed, well-acted episode. Uh yeah, yeah, he he's he 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 sold me, man. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Um I was gonna say something else about this season. Uh yeah, I told you that uh they they started out on a high note. I'm wondering where where it's gonna go from here. I, I think it just kinda goes back to character drama. We'll see a lot of, you know, 
uh, Kim and Jimmy having to deal with like the repercussions of knowing that they caused the death of Howard. Um, and not only that, but like the scene of Jimmy sitting on the bed while uh, Howard's body is being stuffed into his fridge and everything like that. Like that is so dark of a scene. He was being stuffed into the fridge. Yeah, that's how they got Howard's body out. Remember when uh, the one guy that was there with Jimmy like got the call and he got off and he started like emptying the fridge and taking the shelves out and everything like that. And oh yeah, yeah then yeah. Mike comes in and goes, "Well, the good news is you're gonna get a new fridge. Uh, hoping that stainless steel is okay with you." And in the background, you can see like them lifting a body and putting it into the fridge. Oh, okay. Okay, I got you. I got you. Um, hmm. Okay. Uh, what was I about to say? Um, man, I forget. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the rest of this season. So, Jon Snow spinoff. What do you think? Um, Has it premiered yet? No, of course not. But they announced it. Okay. They've announced so many. Well, we have the one coming up soon. House of the Dragon? Yes, House of the Dragon. And then we also... They've got so many spinoffs of that show, which that show still amazes some were, me. How, some were canceled, though, right? Were they? I think some spinoffs were canceled. That wouldn't surprise me. But yeah. at the same time, that show still amazes me as like a piece of showing how you can mess up the pop culture effect of a show with just a couple of episodes. Dude, it's tragic. It's tragic because yeah, the first few seasons of the show are great. It's great, great writing, uh, great directing. You, I, I bypass some of the sex scenes. I just fast forward over it, but because it doesn't take away from the brilliance of the show. And um, yeah, man, it's like I can't even bring myself to rewatch the show because the final season left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, the worst part is you can go to the second to last season. And start watching that and kind of be like, oh, yeah, well, this this is all going to lead somewhere. You know, this isn't great, but it's going to lead somewhere. And then season eight just completely takes a shit on itself. And now watching season seven, you kind of just go through it and go, yeah, that that season wasn't good either. You were just kind of hoping that it would lead to something with season eight. Yeah, definitely. Um because it was strange in the midst of when I was watching it, I, I was telling myself, this is good. Mm-hmm. You know, I was hanging on to the end of every episode. And I really liked that episode where everything was dark and it was like the war with the walkers. Oh, yeah. Like, I enjoyed I really enjoyed that episode. And in the midst of all of it, I kept telling myself, man, this is good. This is so good. But like by the, by the end of the season, I kind of reflected on everything. I'm like, well, they could have timed Danny's madness a little a little bit better. Uh, final showdown was kind of okay. It doesn't make sense that Bran is the king. Like 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 <laughs> one piece of dialogue that didn't make sense. The three eyed Raven is supposed to stay out of everything, and uh, it, this is gonna be a little bit of a GOT rant, y'all. <laughs> and then when Tyrion says, "I was thinking I would have you as king," and then Bran goes. Why do you think I came all the way down here? Yeah. Why did you come all the way down there? You're the three-eyed raven. You don't care about this stuff. Right. Well, not only that, but then Tyrion's like, well, why not go with the king that already brought his own throne? And it's like, wow, you're really going to bring out the kids in a wheelchair now of all times? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah. Dude, I, I somebody said to somebody said online like uh, when when they said Jon Snow is gonna have their own spinoff. Somebody said online, wouldn't it make more sense to do Arya and see her many adventures as she's going out traveling as the lone samurai of Westeros, if you will? Doesn't she have a spinoff lined up too? I don't think so. It, I've I've lost track of it. Part of it is just I don't care anymore. And the other yeah. part of it is I really don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like uh, it left a bad taste in my mouth. 
it's kind of reason I didn't get the complete series. And if if it had a great last season, I probably would have. Let's see. We have House of Dragon, uh, the Sea Snake, ten thousand ships. I'm pretty sure that's the one that's following Arya. Um, If not, I have no idea. I'm just going based on the titles. Um, Untitled Jon Snow sequel series. I hope that's the title that they stick with. Uh, The Tale of Dunk and Egg. Um, A Flea Bottom series. Who is Flea Bottom? I don't know. Uh, okay. Is 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 it my man? Uh, his his friend Samwell. No, no, that's um, Samwell Tarly. Another prequel reportedly in development is set in Flea Bottom, the King's Landing slum featured in the original series. Who wants to see that? I don't know. Um, and then the Golden Empire, which is an animated one. God, why are there so many? Dude, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? I, it, not it was a successful that, but show, but come on. N- nobody wants a single spinoff anymore. Why are they making, like, seven? I really hope that the Jon Snow one just remains titled Untitled Jon Snow Sequel Series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that one, man. I, I can't make heads or tails of that. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I. It is what it is, but uh, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode. Yeah, yeah. All right, y'all. Like I said before, like, share, subscribe. You can follow us on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we'll have all that you know, in the video. Uh, take care. <laughs>